Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. 
It's the sleepy outback town that in the past month has been overshadowed by a mystery. Just how did prospector Raymond Kellett die and what's happened to his wife, Jenny? Only a few dozen people live in Sandstone, most drawn to the remote spot by their love of prospecting, just like Raymond and Jenny Kellett. The area where the couple was last seen is about 25 kilometres southwest of the town. It's riddled with abandoned mine shafts, a lasting legacy of the early 1900s gold rush. Ray and Jenny Kellett's much-loved Great Dane, Ella, wandered alone and dehydrated into a caravan park in Sandstone, Western Australia, in March 2015. The phone calls that resulted from local police scanning Ella's microchip alerted both Ray and Jenny's families to the fact that something had gone terribly wrong during their latest adventure. Eight years and one inquest later, many questions still remain. Ray's brother Dave joins us on Australian True Crime today to tell us the story of the last eight years from his perspective. But first, we begin our conversation by learning more about who Ray and Jenny were. They lived for the outdoors. I mean, they lived on a farming property and they, they were always camping and off out in the bush and all that sort of outdoor activities, which is why when, when they were first reported missing, no one sort of thought, you know, it just didn't seem real because how is it possible that Ray and Jenny could possibly be missing in the middle of the middle of the bush? It just didn't make sense at all. And the middle of the proper bush, like the middle of Western Australia, like very, very remote. Well, yeah, the, that's another part of it is the spot they were in was remote, but it wasn't difficult terrain at all. Mm. It wasn't mountainous. No, it's very sparsely vegetated, lots of tracks and creek crossings and and that sort of thing. There's a tabletop hill to the north, which has a, you know, like the light on the top for the aeroplanes. Yeah, right. Even at, even at night, you, you couldn't go missing up there. It's just, yeah. Did anybody else know Graham Milne? Had anybody else in the family met Graham, the bloke that they went away with on this trip? No one from, from Ray's side of the family had met him, but in the lead up to this trip, they did a lot of training and planning together. So Milne would go out to Ray and Jenny's property occasionally and I know Kelly especially has met Graham or not met him but you know interacted with him on the, on the property he's a different character from all accounts even when he was out at their property he sort of kept to himself like he wouldn't even come and eat at the same table he would sort of grab his food and shoot off outside so hence why I say when they met him it, it was more like this is our colleague how they met was they all worked at the same uh, mine site up north, mine site called Cloudbreak. Ray was an operator. Jenny drove the, the, the big trucks up there and, and Graham was a, an emergency services officer. So he was the medic. Jenny had, she had a, a bad back and I think one, one day in particular she was driving those big trucks and, and something went out of alignment. So she, went, she had to go in and see the medic and that's when she met Graham. And I guess in those discussions, as you do, you sort of share common interests. Graham is a semi-professional prospector. He goes prospecting all the time. And from those discussions, they come up with a plan of Ray and Jenny getting involved in this prospecting venture. And when I say prospecting, now we know from the inquest that, that it, 
the main plan was to to rope down these mine shafts and and hope to, to find something that had been missed by hundreds of years of old timers <laughs> doing the same thing. I mean, it, the the it, it's just, it's a ridiculous story, but I guess without knowing, like if you hadn't been up there, which Ray and Jenny hadn't, they hadn't been up there before. I guess from an outside point of view, they might have believed it. You know that you could you could go up there and you can rope down these holes and find millions of dollars worth of gold, but once you go up there, you realise just yeah that was a that was a a tall tale let's say. There was months of planning in it as well, it wasn't like like at the time it was sort of described to us that they they'd just gone out there prospecting on a weekend and gone missing, but. After the inquest and all the sort of background information as in emails and messages between the three came out, you realise just how much preparation had gone into it. I mean, there was months of planning and training and that for it. It wasn't like they just sort of chucked a couple of metal detectors in the back of the ute and headed out for the weekend. They had a trailer loads of equipment and enough equipment and, and, and resources to, to last out there for weeks. Was it when the dog, their lovely dog, wandered into the the caravan park close by, all alone, dehydrated and stuff? Was that when when the panic sort of started with the family? Yeah, that's right. So they told their respective kids that they'd be out of range for about ten days because there's no mobile signal where they were. So there wasn't any concern prior to that, and it was about pretty much bang on ten days when when Ella found her way into town. Mm. So it's about. 25, 30 kilometres south of Sandstone where they were. So there is a question mark whether Ella managed to find her way in there or someone dropped her in there. No one's sort of come forward to say that they picked up a, a massive Great Dane. Yeah, she's very memorable. She's very specific. It's not like she's a basic-looking dog. She's a big Great Dane. And that's what sparked the, the missing person report because the people in Sandstone, the Shire president there, managed to get the microchip reader and contact the family. Everyone sort of panicked from that moment because Ray, Jenny and, and Ella were, were inseparable. So for Ella to be 30 kilometres away from where they were, everyone went into panic mode from that point on. We should point out for listeners that this was a second marriage for both. Um, there were kids on both sides, but it, it seems like everyone's pretty friendly even then. So you got we've got two families here who who are involved in this and 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 so as you said they alerted both their families both the kids and everybody was looking for them straight away. So then what was Graham Milne's what was his version of events then when Ella the beautiful great dane wandered into the caravan park and the family started saying hang on that's that's not right something's happened and then everyone realized or started, I guess, ringing around and found, where was he? Was he home already? Yeah, he was. Actually, that's interesting because the first person, so it was Mel Ray's daughter, her partner, Elizabeth, is the, is the one that took the, the call from the Shire of Sandstone. Ray had left uh, a satellite phone number with them for emergencies. And like I said before, he said that they'd be offline for about 10 days, but if there's an emergency, here's the satellite number. So the first number that they called was that, and Graham picked it up, and he was back in Perth. So he'd taken the satellite phone with him when he left. Seems odd. 
Yeah. So from all accounts, he didn't really, I mean, he, I don't know how he reacted to it. He obviously didn't venture forth any any reasons or why or how that might have come about that Ella made her way into town. So then Elizabeth, then she started calling Jenny's kids and then the police. After that, that's when everyone sort of went into panic mode because they couldn't even make contact with them on the number that had been left for for that emergency. So he's basically given nothing, just said, I don't know, don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, apparently that's all you have to do now is just say, I, I, I have no idea and people believe you. So he said that, that he was only up there for the weekend. They, they arrived on the 19th, which was a Thursday, and he left on the 22nd to come back to Perth because he had to go back to work. And for some reason, he brought the only means of communication back to Perth with him, the satellite phone. Yes. Now, I, he, his excuse for that was that, that he'd forgot that it was in the door pocket of his car. And then with the, the first search, he actually did go up and, and assist with the search. They asked him to go up there. Mm-hmm. And he took them in a southerly direction. He said that that's the direction that they were prospecting in. He said that Ella had kept on running away from camp when he was up there, so he got fed up with it. And on the last day, he went prospecting on his own for 18 hours or something and then arrived back at camp in the early hours of the morning and packed up and, and left. So as far as his version of events was that they probably must have been chasing Ella and then got lost. Ultimately, where Ray was found is, is two kilometres north of their camp, and when he took the search crews, he took them south and east of camp, so in a complete opposite direction to where Ray was found. With the police searches, that's the frustrating thing. I mean, and it's not to take away from the fact that, I mean, especially that first search, it was, it was massive. You know, like they, they threw everything at it. But it got to the point where it was to a point of myopia where they, they just couldn't see another scenario other than that they were, it was an accident and they were missing. Three weeks ago today was the last time the couple was seen alive. They were looking for gold in sandstone, their camp discovered deserted and locked down by police. Only a water container, a metal detector and possibly abseiling equipment missing. Two weeks later, police found Raymond's body at the base of an abandoned mine shaft. Since then, there's been no trace of the mother of three. It's been a tough road for her loved ones. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We should say at this point that from the outset of the inquest, the coroner did note that there'd been a lot of rumour and a lot of conjecture about Graham Milne being somehow involved in the fate of your brother, Ray, and of Jenny. So our attitude to this story is not new and we're not stepping outside of the bounds of any kind of, um, you know, ongoing investigation. I mean, the, the coroner said it herself. She said, look, I get it. She said, by the time of the inquest, it had become widely known that some suspicion had fallen upon Mr Milne in relation to the deaths. And the intense media attention and speculation about his involvement had previously been raised with him in a televised program. Can you begin to explain what's happened here? What do you think? I don't know. I've run through all sorts of different scenarios and possibilities and nothing makes sense. I can't stop people drawing their own conclusions. You're going to get that, doesn't matter what. People are going to say things. Well, they can keep saying them, it doesn't matter. No charges have ever been laid against Mr Milne in respect to the deaths, though he has been extensively questioned by police in relation to them. So in, in a way she's kind of letting us know, yep, she knows, but she's also perhaps trying to say to him, him, you know, oh, yes, I'm aware, but this is a clean slate. Let's just begin again. Because he tried to excuse himself from giving evidence, didn't he? Yeah, he applied. He, he had his own lawyer in mm. the inquest, which is a bit weird considering, you know, it's, a, it's only an inquest. It's not, a, it's not a criminal court. But he did have his own lawyer throughout the whole proceedings. Uh, and through that, I don't know the number or the, the what what it's called, but essentially it's a certificate that rules that anything that he says in the in the coroner's court can't be used. It's called an S forty seven, and then a one in brackets, whatever that is, of the coroner's yeah. act. I'm just reading here, yeah, which would result in his answers not being admissible in evidence in criminal proceedings. There you go. Well, read into that what you will, but from our point of view, it, it certainly indicates that. He was concerned. He's been interviewed by police multiple times and essentially he just gives yes or no answers and I wasn't there and I didn't do it, you know. And So as far as any interviews that he's done with the police, he's given them no information. So I guess if he's put on the stand at the coroner's court and he has to give that information that he hasn't previously and he's got this certificate that, nullifies him from any happenings afterwards, then that would be a reason for it as well. Yeah, 
because she has a different burden of of proof and she can yeah. name him as anything she wants at the end of it without having to reach the same level of proof uh, as a criminal court. On that note, the, on the first day of the inquest, the detective that was working on the case in 2017, 2018, said on the stand that, that they'd ruled out any other person of interest except for Graham Mill and that he, he did have, the, or he did apply to charge him put in a report to the DPP on the basis to charge him and, and the DPP didn't find that there was a sufficient burden of proof or evidence to, to go ahead with that. In the end, he, I think, gave evidence in the form of a, a statement, a written statement. Is that right? No, she, he was on the stand. Yeah, he was on the stand for a full day. And were you there that day in person? Oh, yeah. When you read about the, the statements and that afterwards versus physically being there are two very different experiences. Sometimes you, you, we wish that it was recorded and, and people could actually see how those statements were made and see the, the interactions with the, the lawyers and especially the state solicitor. She was, she was brilliant. And solicitors are amazing, aren't they? Great ones. The way they set up what they're doing so early, right. you don't see it coming as a an ordinary person, that's what I find, and then later you realise, oh, she set that up ages ago. She asked this question that seemed completely innocuous, like 20 minutes ago, half an hour ago, but she was actually setting it up so that when she asked this question, he'd kind of snookered himself. Absolutely, yeah. He also said during the inquest that he and Ray heard gunshots while they were tooling around on the 19th of March. And they went up to higher ground to take a look and they saw a vehicle. The stories that come out are, are interesting because they only come out when it's related to another piece of evidence. So as I said, Ray was found north. Graham says that he, they never went that way. But when they found cigarette butts near the, the hole, then all of a sudden he's remembered that, oh, yeah, actually we, we did go up there because we went up to a, a different mine shaft to the north, which was a, a crystal cave. What was the significance of the cigarette butts? Did Ray smoke? No, Ray didn't smoke. Jenny smoked and Graham smoked. So Got it. about a couple of metres away from the entrance to the mine shaft Ray was found in, they found three cigarette butts. So when the TRG were up there to do the extraction, one of the TRG officers noticed the cigarette butts at that time. And did they bag them up and bring them back for DNA testing? No, they didn't. They right. he, he reported it to the, to the detectives, but... Uh, from all accounts, they didn't consider it a, a crime scene, so nothing was collected. About a month later, they, they collected those cigarette butts and found that two of them had Jenny's DNA on them and one had Graham's DNA on them. So hence, then he had to come up with a reason why he was in that area. Mm. So hence the Crystal Cave. He said that they rode their quad bikes up to this Crystal Cave because Jenny wanted to see the crystals and... Then there was the the rifle that was found on the on the back seat of Ray's car had, from all accounts, two bullets missing. And then you hear the story that they were up north of the mine shaft, and there was two guys on on Tabletop Hill that were firing off shots. So Ray apparently took two shots at a cigarette packet in a tree just to let them know that that they were in the area. Does that gel with the Ray 
you know, your brother? Absolutely not. Not in any way possible. From Ray's remains, were they able to, through the medical process, were they able to find a cause of death, nominate a cause of death for Ray? No, it was um, inconclusive. And because of the time frame, how long Ray had been down the hole before he was found, that those areas where there was injuries, there was no, um, God, flesh, I guess. So there's no bruising to look at? No, nothing like that. It was just, yeah. just skeletal, yeah. But his injuries were all on the left-hand side of his face and, and neck and back. He had a broken hyoid bone, which is renowned for strangulations and hangings. And he had his right hand, the metacarpals in his, in his hand and were, were smashed. And Dr. Jeff Ecker, he's an orthopedic surgeon, he was called in to give evidence on, on that injury in particular. And he described that that injury as being, you generally don't see it outside of high impact, high energy motorcycle accidents. You know, when you sort of, when your hands on a, on the handlebars and you smash it into armco or something like that. Right. So the injuries were quite specific in, in where they were. Unfortunately, when they did the, the autopsy, it was still on the basis that it was an accident. So the autopsy was suggestive of Ray falling down that hole, impacting on the side of the mine shaft and then ultimately impacting on the ground at the base of the shaft. They said that, that, that it's possible that that happened given those injuries. Thankfully, the coroner engaged an orthopaedic surgeon to look at it holistically. So if you look at the specific injuries on their own, one after the other, you can go, okay, his hand could have hit the mine shaft on the way down, accounts for that injury. He could have landed at the base of the shaft and that accounts for those injuries. But then when you look at it holistically, which this orthopedic surgeon did, he suggested that even if Ray was already deceased and he fell down that mine shaft, then he would have more injuries than he did. He would have had injuries to his legs, there were more to his arms and because you sort of, you know, you do he would have old, been bracing. Yeah, he would have been doing the old rag doll down the mine shaft and breaking yeah. all sorts of bits and pieces. But, it, you know, there was no injuries to his legs, none to his pelvis, none to his upper arms. It was just those specific areas. I mean, you, 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 we, you know, you have to trust that these people... Oh, they definitely know what they're doing, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you go... Okay, it's possible that the hyoid bone could have been broken if his neck had have done whatever, but why take the, the one in two million chance that that's happened versus the more predominant reason that hyoids are broken, which is strangulation or hanging? At the end of the inquest, what came of it? What was the, the coroner's findings? So the, the findings didn't come out for over a year. In the inquest, she said that she would likely determine that Jenny was deceased. Up to that point, it was still the question in the air, not to us, but the question in the air to everyone else is, is Jenny actually still alive or not? And there's lots of legal ramifications of that too, aren't there? Like the kids, the family can't sort of do lots of legal stuff around her estate and stuff like that. No, no. The the estate was, was lost after one year because... Yeah, they don't. This is all the things they don't tell you is that if people are missing, then all all their accounts and everything just 
they freeze their accounts, which means that no one can access them. You can't even pay someone's mortgage, but the, the, the interest keeps accruing. So it was only a year went past and, and the bank foreclosed on their property. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a compounded stress with, with everything involved in, in missing persons cases. I mean, there was no doubt from anyone's point of view that Jenny was still just out there somewhere within the, in the family group. I mean, well, you know, her, her kids and that, she, she doted over her kids and, and her property and her animals and all that sort of thing. So the idea that she would just have disappeared and, and not resurfaced for five years at that stage was just ridiculous. So the coroner did say on the last day that she would likely determine that, that Jenny was deceased. But the findings didn't come out for another, yeah, I think it was May 2021, findings come out. They did contact us about a week before and say they're coming out and you'll get, we got an advanced copy before it was released through the coroner's court. So ultimately, the coroner deemed that, that Ray was murdered, which was just fantastic news. Oh, that, that sounds completely wrong, no, doesn't it? No, we, I get it. We get it. We get it. Yeah, Absolutely. Because we meet a lot of people who get the opposite and it's so disappointing. So, yeah, I get it. So we thought when the findings come out, especially in that case, that that she gave an open ruling for Jenny, given that she hasn't been found, but she she de- determined that Ray was murdered. My wife and I, we had, a, we had a party that night because we thought, okay, it's only going to be a matter of weeks or months at the most and someone will be locked up forever and yep, that's right. you know, we, can, we can work on finding Jenny but turns out that again the police and the DPP in their ultimate wisdom couldn't come up with enough burden of proof to to go ahead with it still and you just yeah you're just left with more questions than answers it's uh, it's hideous it is hideous to even press charges you know I know from speaking to homicide coppers how from their perspective they're like we can't press charges unless we know we've got enough. We can't put families through a trial unless we know we have what we need. Juries are funny things and you can't take that chance. It's so difficult to get a conviction. We can't leave that shadow of a doubt. But for a family to go through an inquest and have a coroner say, for all these reasons, I'm reading paragraph after paragraph after paragraph where she's saying these are the reasons why I believe that Ray was murdered and didn't die accidentally. This is all the evidence that I have seen during this inquest that tells me he did not die accidentally and then have the DPP say, no, nah, there's not enough there yet to charge somebody, not even to you know to convict somebody but to charge somebody. In, in saying that, I, I can't tell you the number of people, and, and when I say people, I'm talking professional lawyers, solicitors, officers, police officers, detectives, the number of people that just cannot believe that it hasn't gone to criminal court yet. I, I think it's Australia-wide. So here in WA, like the way that the DPP works is they, for want of a better word, need to be spoon-fed all the information. So the police have to give give their reports to the DPP, the DPP reads the report, and then they determine whether they go ahead or not. And there's a massive grey area between. So when when we've sort of argued with, with either party, whether the police or the DPP, they, the, the finger pointing starts. So it's sort of like, well, the DPP just go, we haven't got any powers of investigation. 
that's the police's responsibility. And then you go to the police and you go, well, we can't make the decision. That's the DPP's responsibility. And in between those two bubbles is a grey area a mile wide. Yeah. And, and that's where we are. From our family point of view, we've never dealt with anything like this. I, I wasn't a, no, I don't think anyone in the family was a true crime buff or anything yeah. before, you know. <laughs> I, I started listening to podcast. I started listening to your podcast after this because I wanted to sort of start, I guess, get a bit of confidence in the system. But it turns out that was a complete anomaly. Yeah, that that, that yeah. backfired big time because there's, there's hundreds, thousands of uh, cases like ours in 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 Australia where it's just it just goes nowhere. One of the main reasons of doing these sorts of things is there is a possibility that. There was people that were in the area at the time. You know, you've got the old golden nomads that drive around the outback years on end and and possibly have never heard of it. I mean, I've come across people in WA recently that have never heard of it, which is just unreal given how much media uh, had at the time. So if there is people that that were travelling around at the time and, you know, they, they bumped into a couple of guys in a white Prada or whatever it was those guys were driving, so we're talking March 2015. Yep, Sandstone's the town to the north. Yeah, the, lo- the local spot. And Ella, you know, there's a, there is a chance that someone came across a Great Dane and picked her up and took her to the nearest caravan park and dropped her off. If anyone sort of cited two random guys that pot- potentially don't exist, shooting off gunshots on the top of Tabletop Hill. The other one was... There was a couple, Mark and Gina, come across a guy that they described looking very much like Milne on on the morning that he left camp, early in the morning, on the side of the road. I believe the coroner's sort of deemed that there's not enough indication that it was definitely him, but, you know, let's face it, given the area that they were in and, and the description they made, it'd be pretty unlikely there's two people that look the same as him at the same spot at the same time so read into that what you will so if if anyone else sort of saw a uh, guy that resembles a garden gnome driving along the road from sandstone to Payne's find or back to perth that weekend so anywhere between march 18 and march 22 2015 that's one thing that learnt only just recently i mean we spent seven years prior to the final dpp decision dealing with the police directly and and not going outside of those bounds you know not sort of even if we get contacted by the media it's like no no don't say anything because you'll jeopardize the investigation rah 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 mm. and then but then when when the dpp decision was made it was like right that's it gloves off because mm. you know you, you do you need the media you have to if you if if your case is not in the public eye it gets put in a box and put on a shelf a guy approached us after i don't know if you've seen the under investigation show oh is that the channel nine one yeah yeah with liz hayes yeah so he watched that um and then made contact with well tried to make contact with under investigation and then eventually got our details through judith fordham who's the the barrister that was on that show he's an ex-army guy He's got a full off-grid, off-road setup that he can live for weeks out in the bush, which he did. He went up there for about three weeks, actually. And then 
my other brother Mal and I went up and met with him over the Easter weekend because he wanted to actually go down the shaft where, where Ray was found. So he needed people to assist with that. We got up there on the Friday, pretty much straight into it. He went down the hole. The basis of that was that he was, when he watched the, the episode, he saw that some of the, the the tailings at the top of the mine shaft had been disturbed. So they didn't mention that on the show. That's just his observation. and That's no, his observation, knowing yeah. Knowing the from, place and wow. Yeah, so he went down there pretty much. There's a conical mound at the, at the base of the shaft, mm. which is interesting because that's one of the things that come out of the investigation is that they believe that Ray might have fallen down there and hit that conical mound and, and rolled off to the position he was in, which is just, you know, God, how they worked that out, I've got no idea. So Rick started digging into that conical mound and he, he came across, well, a few items, but the, the main one was that there was a shirt buried in there. He's done uh, forensic stuff before, so he collected it in the, in the manner that they require and handed that in. They're not telling us whether it was, clearly there was it was relevant, but they're not telling us whether it was Ray's shirt or Jenny's shirt or... But it was something because then the police went back up and started searching again, did they? Yeah, so they went up there with, with a, a mining group and pretty much excavated the bottom of the shaft out to see if there was anything else in there. Uh, so we were up there in Easter and then the, the police went up it was eight weeks after, so I think it was June. Channel 7 did a show as well, Murder in the Goldfields, which covered three Goldfields murders. So ours, Ray and Jenny's being one, Charlie Park and, and Lisa Govan were the other two from Kalgoorlie. So we went up there with them when they filmed that. That was with Carolyn Overington and their, their crew. We showed them the whole area, which they filmed, and, and that was very helpful because... Again, like I said before, there's sort of this misunderstanding that they were in a in a spot where it was so remote that you know they could possibly go missing. But when you see it in reality, you know, the, the, as I described before, I mean, it's like an enclosed space. There's fence lines to the east, south, and and west. You've got the main road to the north. You've got all these tracks and creeks and all that sort of thing. And and especially Ray's Hole. I mean the the, the idea that he could have fallen down that hole by accident is just at, so absurd it, it doesn't warrant mentioning, but it still keeps coming back to haunt us. So when we were up there for that um, filming, we were staying at the Sandstone Pub and the, the, the publican up there, Donna, mentioned on the last day as we were leaving, she said, oh, there's these guys that have been out there searching for Jenny. And we're like, well, we haven't heard about that. Because they, they, they would come and stay at the pub on their way in and out. Um, so she said, oh, she didn't have their names. She just said, oh, one of them works at the medical centre in Waluna and the other's a, a, a Sparky. And that's all we sort of had to go with. And you sort of leave and you come back back home and, you know, you have that decompression cycle that I mentioned before and sort of didn't act on anything for, for months on end. And then when Rick come forward after the... UI episode, I, I thought, well, if he's going to go up there and do a search, there's these other guys that we heard about that we probably should touch base with and find out what they've done so that we don't sort of cross the same area. So 
yeah, I haven't nothing to go with. I just rang the Waluna Medical Centre. I don't know if you would know where Waluna is, but it's a very remote spot. It's a tiny town. So the medical centre, they're they're a a centre for their surrounding Aboriginal communities. So I'm at work in Perth, ring the Waluna Medical Centre, and I go, oh, off chance, do you know anyone there that has possibly been searching for a Jenny Kellett? And the, the reception is like, yeah, I, I think she was pretty much going to go, oh, we've got a weirdo on the phone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll put you through to the doctor. So get the doctor, got the same response from him, <laughs> but he goes, leave it with me and I'll find out. And it was only an hour later, so he's obviously gone out to the tea room or wherever <laughs> yeah. and gone, what, is, what the hell is this guy talking about? And it was the CEO, Richard, of Willuna Medical Centre, him and his mate Jed, so Richard and Jed, had spent three years. I'm not even oh joking. Oh my god! Three years of weekends and and weeks out there. They they've they'd. So we, my wife and I, went and met up with Richard after after the phone call, and uh, oh, I, I can't even describe. Just blows you away. <laughs> It's, <laughs> I can't imagine an absolute stranger doing something like oh, that for your family. Unreal. So, yeah, they're just on the, off their own bat, they, you know, just going out there. When they started off, they, they were lowering camera equipment down the mine shafts to try and have a look around, and they realised that wasn't working so well. So they were actually setting up scaffolding over the top of all these mine shafts and lowering themselves in there and digging around and, you know, there's hundreds of mine shafts up there. That, so they've been spending three years of weekends just doing that for off their own bat. That We didn't know them. They don't know Jenny's family. They don't know our family. They're just, and they're not doing it to get in the paper or to get on TV? Not or, at all. No. They just described it like, you know, if, if that was their family, they would want someone to do that for them. We'll, we'll find her one day. There's enough people sort of out there. Yeah. You know, it just takes one one moment. That's yeah. it. That's it. It's just going to be one moment. And that's what keeps everyone going, isn't it? You just never know when that moment will be, where it will be. Well, one person does know. Yes, yeah. Look, it's eight, year, you know, eight and a half years now. Given recent discussions, it doesn't look like anything's happening any anywhere soon i mean i'm not saying it's, it won't but let's just say it's not happening anytime soon you know i know the impact it's had on just our life uh, my wife and i you know sort of have been dealing with it for eight years and it's become our whole life I, and i'm reminded of that quite often which is you know <laughs> you know you, you just want it to be resolved and so that you can sort of get on with what's left of your life Jenny's former husband, Jim, he's, he's very active in it as well, which is a credit to him, but also is an indication of, of Jenny, you know. I mean, of who you, she was, yeah. Who she was. I mean, he, he's never given up either. He's always active. And you know, so Jenny's had three kids, Darcy and Kelly and Brittany, and then raised girls, Charmaine and, and Mel. Everyone does whatever they can, but no one will give up, that's for sure. The term ambiguous loss, I'm sure you've heard it before, but and it's very real. I mean, we have that for Jenny, but I can't imagine what that's like for her kids. I mean, that's just 
that on a scale of you know times a hundred. It's 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 hideous to not knowing where, how, why. And the main person of interest is seventy years old now. My parents are eighty and ninety respectively. You know, we had actually I got a message from one of a raised good mate, Neil, last night, one of their good friends passed away just yesterday. You know, so you, everyone wants a resolution. We want justice. We want Jenny to be found, but it, it needs to be sooner rather than later because everyone's, you know, getting on. Eight years, eight and a half years. We don't want it to be 20 years, which seems to be the round figure in WA for these sorts of cases to be to be resolved. I mean, if it's another 10 years, there'll be no one left to, to see it or no one left to charge. More the point. Thank you to our guest today, Dave Kellett. And if you have any information about this case, you can call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. You can visit crimestoppersWA.com.au or, of course, you can get in touch with us at Australian True Crime and we'll be happy to pass any messages on. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 Respect on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 9276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. 
They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.